Hi, this is Jim Brangenberg, the host of the I Work For Him radio show. Thanks for listening to the I Work For Him podcast, where we discuss our workplace as our mission field. The live version of our show can be heard each weekday afternoon at 3 p.m. Eastern on AM 570 and 910 WTBN, locally in the Tampa Bay area, and worldwide on the web at letstalkfaith.com or iHeartRadio. Our website, iWorkForHim.com, has great resources on how you can learn about how your workplace can be your mission field. And also check out the sponsors that bring you the radio show each and every day. And while you're there on I Work For Him, click on the I Work For Him Nation flag and prayerfully consider joining the I Work For Him Nation. Join thousands around the globe praying for their coworkers and employees by name each and every day. That's IWorkForHim.com. I Work, the number four, Him.com. Remember, your workplace is your mission field, and in that mission field, you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. Thanks again for listening. I hope this broadcast will make an impact on your life so that you'll never look at your workplace the same again. Let's get to today's show. You've tuned into the fastest one hour in Christian talk radio. Super big thanks go out to Jose Cruz. Done a fantastic job this last whole week supporting me in the absence of Ace Andrews. And I just want to tell everybody, Jose Cruz, he is the great guy that he sounds like a, like he is on the air today, each and every day. And I want to say thank you so much, Jose just send Cruz. The check. All right, send the check. I'll to me. The check's in the mail, my friend. Hey, go out to iWorkForHim.com. I want to challenge you along with my guest that's going to come on in just a few minutes, I want to challenge you to go to iWorkForHim.com and to click on the iWorkForHim Nation flag. We're calling on Christ followers across the globe to make the commitment to make a difference in their workplace. By doing these things, start praying for your coworkers and employees by name each and every day. Look for ways to serve people in your position. Look for ways to befriend people outside of the workplace. Look for ways to pray with people when you notice they're just having a tough day. But all along, doing your work with excellence so that your Heavenly Father can get glory by the work that you do. But all along, you're looking for ways to share your faith. Nobody can ever debate with you the work that Jesus has done in your life. Nobody can say, no, that didn't happen. That's right. They can't do that. So look for ways to share how Christ has made an impact on your life, because this is what I know. Nobody who ever met Jesus in the Old, in the New Testament, their lives were never the same. You couldn't meet Jesus and walk away the same as you were beforehand. And I, I have never been the same since I met Christ. Never. And I've never met anybody whose, whose life has remained unchanged once they really met Jesus and entered in a relationship with him. So my challenge to you is to step up your faith and put it in a, get it out of the box, break the doors down, break the walls down, and start making an impact in your workplace tomorrow by going out to iWorkForHim.com tonight and start making that commitment to pray for your coworkers and employees by name each and every day. But it does take a paradigm shift in our minds to be a Christ follower and to really live out our faith. We have to live out Romans 12 too. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. You talk about changing the way you think. There's very few dens of lions in our society. And as a a, a guy who really has studied politics all my life, there's a lot of frustration with politicians across America today. But I think I found, we're going to know after the show today, but I was asked several weeks ago to bring on the incoming Florida Speaker of the House, Mr. Richard Corcoran. And he's on the air with us today to share how he plans on protecting his 
marriage, his children and keeping them a priority over being the Speaker of the House, but at the same time, really making a difference in a place where very little difference is made on a day-to-day basis. Incoming Speaker of the House, Richard Corcoran, welcome to I Work For Him. Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. You know, I want you to have fun today, and I know as a politician, you get reamed by media people, and that's not what this show is all about. This show is all about people sharing their testimonies on how crisis made a difference in what they do each and every day, and sharing it with those that are listening so that we can all be inspired by somebody else's faith story. We all get inspired by other people's stories, and that's what this is about. And so I'm grateful that you, the incoming Florida Speaker of the House, you start in November— I'm grateful that you're willing to just be transparent, but I know you got a lot of weight of responsibility on your shoulders, so let's just start off with the emphasis on the right spot. Talk to the audience, Richard, about how Christ is making a difference in your life today. Well, I, you know, it's as, as with all of us, it's uh, just a great day-by-day journey, moment-by-moment, and um, it doesn't mean that you, you always have to be disciplined in the what I always say, the disciplines of the faith. But um, I don't know, there's probably, I tell my kids all the time, there's probably rarely a day, rarely a week that goes by, uh, especially in this environment that, we, that I work in, where I don't say, if God is for me, who can be against me? Uh, and remind myself over and over again, um, you know, to stand by his precepts, stand by, by his, what's in his word and, and, and what he wants us to do to glorify him in all we do. And, and whatever happens, um, God is in it. Uh, you know, it's that great verse with Job. Um, so, uh, you know, things that happen badly, uh, praise, praise be to the name of God. And if things that happen really good, praise be to the name of God. And so, um, but, you know, that's kind of how I live day to day. Um, but there, are, there, there is the absolute necessity to sit and say to myself over and over again that um, God is for me. And, and spending time in the Word, spending time in prayer, and spending time with um, brothers and sisters in the faith are, are all ways to, to try to maintain that, that walk. You're the elected representative of which district of Florida? 37. It's it's basically Pasco County, which is a north, uh, a suburb of Hillsborough County, um, pretty much a very uh, retiree population. And then if it's not retirees, it's uh, a lot of folks like my wife and I who are, um, uh, you know, two-parent families with, with kids. You know, I've also heard, though, as part of Pasco County, there's some tough, tough living that Hudson has some some real issues. I actually had some teachers on from the Hudson School District that talked about the uh, uh, just that as a Title One school that 80 percent of the kids or maybe it was 90 percent of the kids were eating lunch and breakfast at the school. So I know Pasco County's got its challenges. You know, you've been elected the incoming Florida Speaker of the House. How does that happen? Are you elected by your peers? Yeah, you get elected by the people to to be a representative, and then of those that get elected to be representatives, there's 120 members in the Florida House. Of those, there's 81 Republicans. Well, then the the Republicans in the House choose you to be the speaker for for a certain uh, two-year period, because we have term limits. Um, And so I got elected with a class of 34 people in 2010, and then uh, those 34 people said when we get if we all get to be, you know, um, seniors in, in the 2016-18 cycle, we want you to be our speaker. And so that's how it kind of how it works. And you go out and you meet with them, you talk to them, you give them your vision, you tell them what you think is, you know, good, bad, and, and how you would run the, run the legislature. And, and it, over time, you build up the, hopefully the respect in, of your colleagues, and they choose you to be the, the person to, to be speaker. 
You know, I, I want the listeners, we're going to talk about some of the things you said in, your, in, your, in some of your speeches and, and your vision, but I want people to hear about your humanity, and I want them to hear about your Christianity and how Christ made an impact on your life. So as, as a politician and, and as an image bearer of God in the Florida House, how does your work reflect some aspect of God's work? You know, the, I, I, um, my journey um, to Christ has been sort of a long one, uh, Jim. And so uh, to answer that, it, 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 it impacts everything. And I'll tell you, uh, you know, it's that verse, you know, who, who's been forgiven much, loves much. Um, and so when I was in 10th grade, I grew up in a large Irish Catholic family and somewhat crazy, and, um, but a good crazy, but, but crazy nonetheless. And um, my older brother went to Florida Southern College when I was in 10th grade, and I would go over there and play basketball with some of his, um, his uh, friends at school. And while I was over there, one of the friends took me aside and he gave me a book, um, and, he, and he asked me if I knew Jesus. And, and I was like, you know, yeah, I, I mean, I'm Catholic. <laughs> and, and he said, well, here, I want you to read this book and then come back and tell me what you think. And so I read this book, and then I came back, and at the end of the book, it had it basically in the book an altar call. And so when I get, went back another week later to play basketball over the weekend with them, he asked me, he goes, hey, did you read the whole book? And I said, yeah. And then he said, um, did you do the altar call? And I said, yeah. And so then he prayed with me. And, and, then, and then I would say there was, you know, a, um, a good six months or so, uh, Jim, where I was, you know, I, I remember our mall had a local Christian bookstore, so I went up there and I bought all kinds of Christian albums and, you know, all, you know, um, Mike Warnicky uh, was the book that I that <laughs> absolutely gave. Mike Warnicky, yeah, yeah. and then I bought um, you know Steve Green and uh, Kenny Norman, all these Christian albums, and 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 it was a bit you know it's very transformational. And to your point that you said on the intro to any listeners, if there's someone out there that you might have had that experience where someone did that, and but your your home base or your friends aren't really where you were, where that's the case I had at 16. I would tell you find someone, find a church to get involved in. Um, because one of my great regrets is back then is I didn't get involved in it. If, if that guy that bought me to Christ would have put me, you know, found a, a church home for me, and then I could have been surrounded by other people, um, it could have, I could have avoided a lot of heartache. Because from that period to maybe seven um, to ten years, it was always a slow journey, and, and God was always putting people in my life to, to remind me. Um, but, but it was a, you know, a long journey, and, and the irony was, in fact, when I, um, in 1990, January of 1993, I said, you know what, I've always said I love Jesus, I've always said I believe in Him, but I just don't live for Him. I don't live the, you know, I clearly don't, haven't put Him front and center. And so, you know, I said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to a church. And, and literally at the time, I had just broken up with a girlfriend, and at the time we were living together. Um, and so then I went to this church, and I said, that's it, I'm going all in for, for Jesus Christ, and joined a church, um, a PCA church, uh, got to be very good friends with the pastor and his family, and and it's been just a great journey, but I've never lost sight of the fact that um, that you know from the time that I feel like I first encountered Jesus, you know whether I was saved at that point or not, I I, I don't. The person that I worshipped and worshipped in January of '93 was the same person that I believed and worshipped way back when I was 16. But I clearly didn't live for Christ. Uh, my lifestyle showed that. Um, but so now. Uh, there's a day, you know, I say it with my six kids, um, you wake up every day and you say, God, this is another day you've given me. How can I glorify you in all I do? Um, and as long as you try to remind yourself of that and you live um, 
selflessly, um, hopefully good things happen for the kingdom. You know, I grew up in Minnesota, and I grew up in a community that was founded by Irish Catholics. I was <laughs> I was the lone evangelical in a neighborhood of more, like 80% Catholics and 20% Lutheran, and then there was me. So I know the opposite side of the life that you lived in, But and I know that when I went all out as a 13-year-old and committed my life to Christ in this neighborhood, they thought I was completely wacky, because they all knew about Jesus, but they that they had an impact their lives. They just knew who Jesus was. And, and so I understand the pressure. How did you respond to the pressure then from your family when you proclaimed your faith in 1993 and said, I'm all in? From your mom and your dad who had raised you Irish Catholic, how did you deal with that? You know, and it's funny, the, um, the, you know, my, my, I had very supportive parents. They were older. So both my mom and dad lived through the Great Depression and both served in World War II. My mother was British. So they were much older. And so um, at the point that it happened in 93, they were kind of like, well, you know, they're just, they're, they were older, they were in their 70s, and so they're like, well, we'll see, you know, see what, see what happens, this is, you know, and then what happened was my sister became a, my, I have a twin sister, so she became a Christian, uh, my older brother became a, a Christian, uh, my younger brother became a Christian, and then, you know, a couple years after that, my older sister became a Christian, so, so in a, in a moment of time, you know, and, and it's like God works through families, as, as we absolutely witnessed, uh, what started is, you know, one of us soon became the entire family. We're all, um, and, and, and for the most part, a lot of us went to the same church for a good while while we were all still living in the same area. So it's, and I remember one time my dad saying that, because he, he, we moved down from the north, and I remember him saying when this was going on, and we're all very, you know, fervent uh, supporters of, of the Lord, he, I remember him saying to us, I should have never moved you guys to the Bible Belt. <laughs> but but I will say, I mean, and of course it's my heart hoping, but um you know, in the last uh, 10 years of my dad's life, we witnessed to him all the time and talked to him, and, and, and he would sit in our, we would have Bible studies, and he would sit with us, and, uh, and, and you know, I, the evangelism explosion questions, you know, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven, and if so, what, what would you say? My dad, you know, he definitely, by the end of his life, knew them and, and professed a faith in Christ, so I hope, I, I hope, he's, I hope he's in heaven, too. Uh, that's, that's a cool story. It's fun to see the Lord work through that. How did you meet Anne, your, your wife? Of, of how many years have you guys been married now? Uh, 21. 21 years. How did you meet her? Did you meet her at that first church you ended up in? Uh, no, you know, it's a, that's another uh, funny story, how, how God's worked in my life. Um, she grew up in a very strong uh, Christian family, and she went to University of Texas. And while she was there, one of her professors, um, uh, gosh, his name escapes me, but he's a famous Christian writer, um, and he was the one who um, gave to George W. Bush the concept of compassionate conservatism. And so he was mentoring her, and, and, and she was saying how tired she was of just being, you know, one of those. She was very active in young life, very active in um, college ministry. And she, she was talking to her professor and said she'd like to go somewhere, you know, where, you know, where there's a Christian environment so she doesn't always feel like she's at war while she goes to law school. And so he said, oh, Marvin Olasky, if you, uh, you've probably read some of his books, but Marvin Olasky's written a bunch of great stuff from the University of Texas. And so he ended up telling her about Regent University in Virginia Beach, sure. she went to, and she went to Regent University. Mine, because I, again, during that time when I was living, even though I, I'd met um, Jesus, I really wasn't living for him. I went to University of Florida. I was there for five semesters. I got six credits, uh, 0.43 GPA, got kicked out. Um, and so... Uh, then at the time that I finally finished college and I went to apply for law school, I didn't have a lot of good opportunities because my GPA was so low, even though I had a, a very uh, decent um, LSAT score. So when I was looking at all the colleges, one of my best friends, who wasn't a Christian, 
um, but knew I was um, a serious one at this point. He comes and he says, hey, this is a school you might be interested in, too. It looks like it's a Christian-based one. And it wasn't even the admission book yet because it was so new. And so I looked at it, applied. They called me up for an interview. Um, you know, they asked me a lot about my faith and my testimony. And, and they let me in, even though I had this low GPA. Um, and long, so lo and behold, through really crazy circumstances, Anne, who probably never would have gone to Regent, ended up going there through, you know, Marvin Olasky helping her and directing her. And then me, you know, out of... Um, necessity. I would have probably rather stayed in a Florida school. I ended up going to Regent University, and then we met literally in the first month and uh, and got married a year later. That's cool. I love the way God just intersects our lives with our spouses. My wife and I have a similar story as well for how he ran us together at a youth conference in California and made a commitment to our full-time Christian ministry, and three years later we met. And uh, But it's it's cool stuff. So, Richard, you've now got six children. That's okay. correct, right? Yeah. And how old's the youngest? The youngest will be uh, four on July 30th. And your oldest is how old? Fifteen. Wow, you got them smacked in there really tight. So you're gonna, <laughs> you you got some busy years ahead of you. That's a that's another uh, you know miraculous story. So when we got married, um, after about you know I don't know three four years whatever we had been trying to have kids and weren't successful, and so then we got tested, and of course my wife was fine, and then. The doctor said I was, and I probably had some sports industry in injury that that made it so I couldn't, and uh, and then he you know broke it down and basically you know he had like this chart. I remember thinking, okay, I'm probably halfway in the chart, and he basically said I'm not even on the chart, so there's no chance. And so then we did um, decided that we would try um, in vitro fertilization, and my pastor put me in um, touch with a guy in uh, Mississippi who did um, ethical. Um, biblical studies on what 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 you could and couldn't do with regards to in vitro, and so we walked through that. And so then we told the fertility doctor that because we didn't want to have any kind of abort, you know, for our you know binding, and this is our conscience binding thing. We didn't want to feel like we were having uh, what would be an abortion. And so if if there was any egg that was fertilized and the maximum that you could put in was three, then we would only want to start with three eggs. And the if because if all three got fertilized, we wouldn't want. Uh, we would, would want them all to have a chance, as opposed to if you normally they fertilize like eight, and then if you have extras, they just freeze them. But then they have a half life, and so we decided not to do that. So we went through two in vitros; they both failed. And then, lo and behold, about three months after that, uh, you know, they, would, they space out the in vitro treatments because of the shots that the, my wife had to take. And so then um, she, she comes home one day and she says, "Meet me at the office." She was prosecuting at the time, and I had a law office. And so we came home, and she gave me, like, this little teddy bear, and it said that, you know, she was having a baby. And I go, you're having a baby? And I go, that's not possible. She goes, no. I went to the hospital. I had a blood test, and now the in vitro doctor wants us to come up there. He doesn't think it's possible. So we go up there, and he says, nope, you're definitely pregnant. It definitely wasn't from the in vitro. You know, it's too, it's, it's way too long past the last treatment. And so... Um, Long story short, we end up having the first child. We think it's a miracle. So, and, and, uh, and we'd also put in for an adoption agency in Dallas. The day that we found out she was pregnant, the next morning the phone rang, and it was the adoption agency in Dallas that we'd been on the waiting list for two years because the parents choose you. And she calls and says, congratulations, we've been chosen. And so I told her, I said, look, we just found out my wife's pregnant. Um, if you could just keep us on the list, we'll probably call back in a year, but we'd like to have some spacing. You know, you know, we, I don't know if we could do two right away. And so anyway, long story short, then she got 11 months later, she got pregnant with Jack. And then like 15 months later, she got pregnant with Caroline. And, and then we just, you know, kept getting, um, having kids. And I got to be, I think, 48 years old. And I remember 
saying to God, I don't want to be one of those lepers where he does this great miracle for you, and then you just, and you're not grateful. And so I said, God, you know, I'm like 48, I'm 49. I don't know how many more kids I could have. And, uh, and so, uh, but anyway, so that's, uh, we're at six. That's pretty cool that yeah. the Lord did that miracle in your life, and, and he's got big plans for him. So talk to me about your life in politics. How did the Lord move you into the life of politics? My parents were always very active. You know, my mother was British, like I told you, and she grew up in Great Britain. She lived through the blitz of World War II. Um, she was in the Women's Air Force, and so um, she would, you know, regale us with these great stories of how the air horns would go off and the German bombers would come off and they'd all scramble for the bunkers, um, underground bunkers. And, and then my dad grew up, during the Great Depression, he lost his father when he was two, and then he was put in an orphanage with his brother and grew up pretty much in an orphanage his whole life because um, his mother couldn't afford them. And so she was in, in um, New York trying to work while they were back in Scranton uh, in the orphanage. And so, um, so they both grew up with this, and, they, you know, and he went into World War II, and so he fought in um, North Africa chasing Rommel, as he would tell us. But when you have that perspective and you've seen the world, you realize... Um, that good governance is is a, a tremendous impact on how people's lives are. And so they just always were active in politics as we were growing up and always, I mean, I remember walking door-to-door for folks and uh, campaigning and what have you, even at the youngest age. And so it was always in us. And then as as I grew older and, and that my mom and dad would have on, you know, C-SPAN when it came on, you know, we were there for when it first came on, um, and they would have the the hearings, whether it was the Rehnquist hearings or the or the Thomas hearings, um, all of the Scalia hearings. All those hearings would be on and, and watched in our house. And so you just grew up very very active. And then um, so I started getting active, and I got active in a campaign. And then when I graduated from college um, from St. Leo College, the sitting state representative offered me a job, and I went up to Tallahassee to work for him. And, and then I've been around the process pretty much most of my life. Mm. And some would say that's good, and some would say that's bad, but I, I, based on your testimony, I would say that it's been amazing that you've been able to be involved in it and, and still allow yourself to grow in your relationship with your Heavenly Father. That's, that's what's really cool. So now that you're being elected the Florida Speaker of the House, you've got two years of really having a heavy influence on what goes on in the state of Florida. How do you see your work as a Florida Speaker reflect some aspect of what God is doing here in Florida at the same time? You know, there's two things I'd say to that, Jim. The the one part is God working internally in all of us. He, he's got to work, what we have said is He's got to work internally in the legislature through us. Um, and this goes back to our founding fathers. I always tell, you know, at, at the exact same time in history in the world, you had two superpowers, France and the United States, emerging superpower, the United States, undergoing a revolution in the late 1700s. Um, the French Constitution was based on the philosophy of Rousseau. The American Constitution was based on the philosophy of, of Locke and Hobbes, um, two, both of them very um, devout people uh, and both Calvinists um, back in, in the 1500s in the Geneva era of, of John Calvin. And, but Rousseau believed that man was good, and left to their own devices, they'll always do what's right, where Locke and Hobbes believed that, no, that man, left to their own devices, will seek their self-interest to the detriment of everybody. And so the Americans wrote this constitution that said um, that that's how we view man, and they have separation of powers and checks and balances, and we're on the same constitution um, since 1789. The French... Uh, built it, believing man was good, and I think they're on their 16th or 17th or 18th Constitution um, because that it, because they didn't have those checks and balances. And what we say is moving forward on the internal part, 
we've got to have more of those checks and balances put in place because um, too many people get elected and they view it as a ticket to income, a ticket to success, a ticket to something, as opposed to service on behalf of people who need, who need help or are struggling or, or would like to live a, a flourishing life. And so we're going to do a whole series of stuff where we try to put in more checks and balances on, 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 on politicians being politicians. Um, the second part, which is just as important, is I always say, I get asked, if you could change one thing in the world, what would it be? It's easy, to, if, if, assuming you were allowed to do it, I would say that every child in the world or in America is born to a two-parent traditional family. Um, the statistics that have been written and studied, Charles Murray, all these great um, uh, thinkers have written and talked about whether it's your juvenile justice laws, your um, income as a result of, of the educational achievement, success in marriages, uh, children who are, are doing well. All of these things are so exponentially greater when you have that environment. But since we can't um, put that into law, the next best thing, I think, is to say that we're going to give every single child a world-class education. And right now there's a huge disparity. Um, I would say separate and, and Equal may no longer, uh, separate but equal may no longer be the, um, the law, but it really is the practice. If you look around Florida schools, you still have a tremendous amount of, um, you know, same uh, ethnicity and same uh, um, uh, geogra- ge- geographical schools. And, 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 and what the educational that's afforded to an African-American is, is, is different than a lot that's what afforded to um, white children. And so we've got to fix that. And so those are two priorities. And both of those come from the fact that, you know, the first one is that we know that God, God did say that, you know, in, in, in Romans, no one's good, not, not one uh, apart from Jesus. And then, um, and so we get, we got to do that with our governance. And then the second part is, um, that all human beings are made in the image of God and, and to all people have value. Um, and when we value those lives and teach them the meaning of life and to answer those weightier questions of life um, so that they can flourish, then we're going to have, I think, a great, a, a much better society. So we'll work on both of those from a, from a faith standpoint. We're talking today with Representative Richard Corcoran. He's from the Florida District, number 37, and he's going to become the Florida Speaker of the House coming up in November. And Richard, I want to stay away from political issues on the show, and I really want to focus on how your faith is impacting what you do. But here's, let me just speak from one of your typical constituents. Now, you're not my representative right now, but when you become the Speaker of the House, you're going to represent all of us here in Florida, which is a monster state with over 20 million people in it. And you're going to be held to the highest of responsibility of representing all of us. We're all frustrated. We are. I think you could speak across the board, across party lines, whatever party people are from. People are frustrated with politics. They're frustrated with politicians because it just seems broken. And and you gave a speech in September, and it's a it was a fantastic speech on September sixteenth. And it said basically the way the Tampa Bay Times put it, they actually were very. They, I think they actually represented you pretty well. Said we are the enemy, and you were speaking about we the politicians have really been the enemy. What I want to talk about in the second half of the show is how you expect to see your faith impact how you guide the representatives in the Florida State House. Because we, the people, want to see that we actually matter to those people. Because it really feels like when people get elected, we no longer matter. It is all about, as you said right before the break, it's all about the money and the prestige that comes with position. Because there's nobody that ever gets elected to a position in, in, in politics that doesn't benefit from the finances. 
And, and I just we just are looking for people that will actually go and do the job we're electing them to do, the one that they said they would do when they were running for office. So how do you how do you respond to that without going to issues? Because I want to go to issues, because issues alienate people, and there's there's an un, there's a huge number of opinions on every issue, but the Lord has the answers to every issue. So how do you plan on letting your faith guide you as the Florida Speaker of the House? That's a it's a great question, and 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 it's some it's really the easiest one to answer, uh, and w- when it comes to governing, and it's a, but it's a, the hardest one to implement, and so the the short answer is what we say. You know, I always say if you know there was one verse that I probably say to myself and say to my kids, uh, you know, probably way too many times, but but it's a, just a great verse, and it's really the the fundamental. Um, foundation of our faith, and that is there's no greater honor than lay down your life for, for a, a friend or a brother or, or another. And, and literally, that's the foundation of our faith. If it wasn't for somebody laying down their life for us, none of us would be, have, our, have our salvation and, and, and eternity with God. And so, but it's the same thing in, in governing. We've, you know, what has happened, I think, over, you know, the, from the days of the concept of Mr. Smith goes to Washington and does great things for the people, um, it has become a vocation for too many people. It's become a means to income, a means to success. And so what we got sat down with those 34 people that we got elected with, we said, let's, let, while we're still pure and, and the process and the culture hasn't, you know, infected us, let's talk about what we're going to look like. Let's, let's write down right now and say, how do we govern selflessly? Um, how do we lay down our lives for our people and make the state a better place? And so we wrote down, you know, that the problems, you know, the special interests, the problems are our own self-desire um, uh, to get reelected, our own desire to go on to higher office, self-promotion. And, and so then what we did is we tried to say, how do we govern against that? And, and that's what I was saying. So the reality is the enemy of doing these great things and having Mr. Smith, at the end of the day, it's us. It's, it's the people that we elect. We go out and we campaign one way, then we govern another because we allow ourselves to um, start living for ourselves and that self-interest that the Founding Fathers and, and Locke and Hobbes talked about, as opposed to dying to ourselves and living selflessly and governing selflessly. Okay, so let me ask you this question. Okay, so you're going to go up there, and we're talking today with Richard Corcoran. He's the incoming Florida Speaker of the House. So you understand who we're talking to. I'm asking, I'm trying to ask tough questions about ethics and, and morality and how you keep those things at the forefront of what you do. Because, Richard, your number one priority in life is your relationship with your Heavenly Father. Your number two priority and your number one ministry is to that of Anne, your wife of 21 years. Even though you're going to be the Florida Speaker of the House, your number three priority and your number one mission field is those six children that you get that God gave you the miracle of having. Your number four priority is being the Florida Speaker of the House. So, keeping those things all in place, yet recognizing the fact that it's messed up. I mean, it is it is a messed up system because people don't they don't go to they don't get elected in politics to serve. They go into they go into politics. Because it's self-serving. How do we begin the cleanup process? In your speech, you said the problem is Tallahassee. How do we solve this without, and keep people from getting sucked into the problem that we call politics? Yeah, and, and what we've done is we've made a list of the things that we can start putting checks and balances on ourselves. So the fact that people get elected and then they get a, a better job than they ever had that they weren't even qualified for, we're saying we're going to shut that down. Um, people get elected and then they try to set themselves up so they can go lobby or do something like that. We're going to shut that down. Um, people get elected and then they start trying to pad their pension so they can get a high pension and retire with millions of dollars in the bank. We're going to shut that down. Um, all of those things that we've made a list of, 
that, that are um, corrupting influences in the process that make it so that people don't have good governance, and it's all because of the people they elect and the people they elect doing those things. Um, all of that stuff, we're going we're gonna to shut it down. And it takes, literally, for us to do that, we have to have the Senate and the governor go along with us. Um, you know, we've passed some of these ethics reforms over to the, to the Senate, and they haven't been passed. So what we're going to do coming November, we're going to put them in our own rules. So it'll govern us internally, but it won't. It doesn't apply to the Senate because we can't force them. Uh, and, and then we'll still push for, push for the legislation in addition to that. Okay, but so think- let me just stop there for a second because there's so much good stuff in there. But I want to ask this question, okay? Every, every man who were – every great man of God, behind every great man of God is an incredible woman, of God, and and I'm I'm guessing that Anne, in order to be your wife of a politician and of six children, she's got to be pretty incredible. Okay, she's just got to be. Period. End of story. Especially to, to hear your testimony. How do you have yourself surrounded by people like Anne? She's your mar- she's your wife, but she's your number one accountability person. How are you surrounding yourself with people that are that have the freedom to smack you with a two by four, literal two by four, not a real one, not a literal two by four. I mean a, a you know, a fake, oh, what am I, I can't say it. You know, people that can ask you the tough questions, unabashedly ask you the tough questions to hold you accountable to all the things you just said. Because when you go up there and ta- start telling people you're going to take away their special privileges for being a, a politician, they're not going to be happy with you. Yeah, no, that, that, that's definitely true. And, and I, I would say this, Jim, uh, I, uh, when it comes to my family, um, I'm with you. And I always say, I, especially with my children, I'll never get that time back. And so it's been a real sacrifice for my wife. Um, she's a, you know, she's a practicing attorney who really hasn't practiced since I've been elected. Um, uh, our kids were in a, a classical Christian school that closed. And so then she all on her own and volunteered her own time, her own money, and started the first classical public school. Um, it has 40% minority students, and in its first year it was an A, and she just did it all on her own, you know, working out of the kitchen table. And so now our kids go to this classical school. Um, but prior to that, we would home, we homeschooled for the first three years um, of my elected office, and they would come, they would move to Tallahassee with me. And then once they started the classical school two years ago, um, now what we do is during the time that I'm in Tallahassee, is I'll leave on a Sunday night. Um, the kids will leave, the kids will be home, and they'll go to school Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesdays. And then Wednesday night they'll come up. They miss Thursday and Fridays, and then they stay with me Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So I get, you know, my wife and children come up, and I'm with them for, you know, almost um, uh, four nights and five days, and then they're home for three days and, and two nights. So, so so that's great on keeping your marriage a priority, and I applaud you because that's you, you're working, and you're the both of you are really having to make sacrifices to keep your marriage and your family a priority. But how do you keep your head in the game in the right way? How do you keep on that narrow path that you've just proposed? Who are, who are the people or what kind of people do you have yourself surrounded with to keep you accountable so that you, what you're doing truly is glorifying the Lord? I mean, what do those people look like? I mean, how many people are there? There's a, I, there's, uh, there's a lot, and some are members. I mean, there's some terrific members that are in the, that are in the legislature with, with uh, terrific face. And so when I'm up there... Uh, I spend time with them. I'm one of my dear friends back here is the pastor of our church. Um, uh, the church we go to is Redeemer um, Community Church, and our pastor is Bill Gunner. Bill Gunner is a close friend. So when I'm down here, he and I get together on a, a regular basis. Um, and then up there, there's also uh, my younger brother uh, works up there, and uh, he uh, and his wife and kids are are uh, great supports. Um, but I, I'm just, um, I've learned over time, maybe it's because I lived that, that rough life for, 
um, a good period of time, even after I had met Jesus, and, and that part, I realized that it doesn't take much to, uh, it's just a bunch of little left turns, and before long you're 180 degrees off course, and I'm very conscious of those little left turns, and so even when I'm up there, um, I hang out with, um, you know, colleagues of mine that have tre- tremendous faith. Um, I rarely go out at night. Going out at night for me when we're done with our work would be me and a couple friends coming over and maybe having a glass of wine, colleagues, but, but we don't even go out. Um, and, then, and then I have a house up there where my family comes up, so they're with me most of the time. But, but if I, I, I tell my kids that too, Jim, is that if I was to go back and look at the biggest mistakes of my life, um, there's two reasons, and, and one of the biggest reasons is the people I was hanging out with. And so I'm just, I'm, it doesn't mean that I don't spend a lot of time with people who don't have a faith, um, but it's very, that, that, that's an environment where you recognize you're going into it and you're, you're, it's very controlled. Um, but, but my downtime when you're vulnerable and, and, and you're having those conversations, um, I surround myself with, with uh, great, um, great folks with faith. Richard, it's been fast. We could have used a lot more time. We've tried to staff issues and really just talk about the heart and soul of what's going on in politics. And I appreciate your candor, and I appreciate your willingness to be held accountable by a guy you have no idea who I am. But I'll tell you this, I'm praying for you, and I'm super excited that you're willing to put your faith at the forefront, that you're not ashamed to be able to be out there being broadcast to millions of people in Tampa Bay going, hey, here's who I am. Here's a question for you. Most of us out here in Florida, I mean, I'm a small business owner. I have have employees. I mean, it's it's rough. It's been rough since 2006. It's been rough, but since healthcare reform came, it's been really rough because healthcare's for some of us tripled in price, and we now have triple the deductibles. And there's no end in sight. And everybody's saying, "Hey, in 2017, guess what? It's going up again." How can you guys at the Florida level help us small business owners out? You know, we've been fighting for uh, the last couple of years on exactly that, and and the reality is how it works where people can benefit and do well is if we can create a uh, what we would say is a, a true free market in healthcare and if and if we did that and we've passed a bunch of free market um healthcare bills uh, and I'll give you an example but if we did that what the free market has always done there's no there's no perfect economic system but in the 5000 years of recorded history that we have in in this Field, we know that no system has done more to rise more people out of poverty, raise more people out of poverty, than our free enterprise system. And when you have that direct relationship between a provider and uh, or a seller of goods and services and the purchaser, and there's real price transparency, you know that you have the greatest access, the lowest cost, and the greatest quality. And so that's what we've been trying to do in healthcare. And I'll give you an example. Right now, because of laws written by people that are, you know, we, we have the very super powerful hospital complex, and they hire these lobbyists, and they go up there, and they give donations, and they have laws on the books that protect their right to do surgeries in hospitals. When everybody says doing surgeries in hospitals is the most expensive, least successful way of doing them. And so we said, let's allow them to be done at ambulatory surgical centers where you have less incidences of malpractice, less incidences of infection, uh, and it's literally a fifth of the cost. And they've come out with studies now that show that if that was, were to be the case, it would save 40 B, as in billion, dollars to consumers in healthcare. So instead of you get, if you needed a routine knee surgery, you're going to have it at the hospital for $25,000. At a surgical center, you could have it for five. And, and when you have that dynamic effect on the, across the board in healthcare in all areas and all sectors, um, you're going to see the healthcare costs just plummet and the quality and care 
uh, go through the roof. Okay. And, okay. We're, we're running out of time. I right. want to ask if you got a lot of people listening today. Florida, incoming Speaker of the House, Richard Corcoran, how do you want us praying for you as we head into November? Uh, I pr- uh, first, um, I, and you've hit a lot of it, Jim. I mean, if you could, I know I don't want to sound selfish, but if you could pray for me and my family, it's, I'm on the road a lot, um, and it's gotten heavier in the last couple of years because of the travel. But if you could pray for me and, and, my, uh, and my family and my children and that God would watch over them and keep them safe and, um, and, and, and continue to um, uh, put people around them to help in my absence uh, and strengthen my wife to nurture them in the, in the um, wisdom and ad- admonition of the Lord. That would be wonderful. That's what I'll do, and I'm going to do it right now. Father, we just lift up Richard Corcoran as the incoming Florida Speaker of the House. Lord, grant him the wisdom of Solomon, but protect his family, protect his marriage to Anne, protect his, his relationship with his six children. May they be dynamic. May all of this, their example, be an incredible encouragement to all the other representatives representatives and senators up there in Florida and Tallahassee. Lord, may they all represent us, the people, instead of themselves. And God, just give Richard the strength to be bold and be strong. And we just ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Richard Corcoran, thank you so much for being on I Work For Him today. Thanks a lot, Jim. It's been a great blessing. You've been listening to the I Work For Him radio show with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower and I own my own business, but ultimately I figured this out and I'm trying to live it out. I work for him.